1: Economic indicators. Who knows where this is going to end up? To understand the economy, you have to understand human nature. How are you doing there? It's David's the podcast. You know the score. We're gonna try and make economics more comprehensible, more predictable, hopefully, and a little bit more relevant to everyone's lives. I'm here as always with your man, Mr. Davis. What's the crackhead? Very good, yeah. A little delicate today,
0: after a, a, a night of awards last night.
1: You won an award. What? Tell it's, me. Oh,
0: just another one, you
1: know. I know the <laughs> award. Sorry, I'm just going to introduce him from now on as the <laughs> award-winning John Davis.
0: Talk to me. Um, yeah, no, we won one out of three nominations in the Dmas. DMA has been what? Uh, Digital Media Awards. Excellent, and it was great. Yeah, it's a good old you night. and Mark canado Myself, Mark, and ADO. We wanted for that project we did with the Central Bank, the animation project.
1: My project. former employers, indeed. The less said about them, the better. <laughs> but it's interesting. Just so you know, uh, John, myself, ADO, and Mark put together a series of economic cartoons many years ago called Punk Economics, and they're, they're well worth having a look at. They're on YouTube. They try to, a bit like what we're doing in the podcast. They try to explain economics in a more Objective, more accessible fashion by using cartoons with the maestro. Mm. How would you describe
0: Mark? He's he's a brilliant. What well, is ex-Disney, the whole shebang? Brilliant Mar- animator.
1: Mark Flood. Big shout out to Mark Flood. But anyway, if you're interested again in a visual version of this podcast, have a look at those punk economic series. We did them over a couple of years. They were very, very popular. Uh, we did a,
0: a series for the FT as we well. Did for the,
1: yeah, for the FT. So that was that. So anyway... By the way, just before we start, Sunday, March 15th is the live show. John and I on the stage of the Olympia, Sunday, March 15th. Get your tickets at Ticketmaster.ie. Well, I wasn't here most of the week and of course the shenanigans on and off. We probably got it right last week by saying it was going to be a battle for the heart and soul of Fianna Fall. Yeah. The Coalition. Yeah. Whether it was going to be the Sinn Fein wing of Fianna Fail or what I would describe as the Fianna Gael wing of Fianna Fail, you can't say that, right? <laughs> and it looks like the Fianna Gael wing of Fianna Fáil have won out.
0: Yeah, it seems to be, and they're but they're still hunkered down, trying to knock out all the details and stuff.
1: Taking a fortnight, holliers Yeah, just to do so. Look, <laughs> well, let's let's not talk about Ireland. So what we're going to do today, we're not going to talk about Ireland. We know we're in as John was saying the hunkering down stage coalition will be formed by somebody at some stage we'll come back to it yeah
0: yeah 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 absolutely there's only so much you can do on that but tell us you've been away this week
1: i've been in berlin and it's a city as you know i've been going to for many many years actually it's crazy for four decades now Mm. i've been going there and it's a place i love this week i got a sense that germany is really really changing and changing maybe not for the better Really? Well, it's kind of odd years ago I learned German and and I try to keep abreast of what's going on in the country. And for so long Germany has been this zone of stability mm. in the center of Europe, particularly during the Merkel years. Yeah. So you had like reunification. So I I knew this part of Germany, East Germany before unification. Reunification, then they've got 10 years to digest Eastern Germany, which takes them at least a decade. Yeah. Two or three chancellors you had, obviously, you had the... It ended with Schroeder, Gerhard Schroeder, uh, Social Democrat. But again, it started with this extraordinary axis of Kohl, Helmut Kohl, and a guy called Genscher, who was his foreign minister, who was born in Sudeten, Germany, and then was a refugee. So Sudeten, Germany was that part of Germany that is now in Czechoslovakia. Oh, okay. It was now in the Czech Republic, and they were Sudeten Mm. Germans. After the Second World War, they were all kicked out, about two million of them. Mm. Became refugees had a really good sense of Eastern Europe, had a really good sense of what Germany should look like. And Genscher was the one who really drove unification more than Kohl, actually.
0: Oh, right, okay. But anyway,
1: so then they have this period where Germany goes into a recession after unification, takes them a long time to get out. But then, of course, really since the late part of the first decade of this century, you have the Angela Merkel years. Yeah. And they have lasted up until now. And they have been a years of, Stability of huge economic, huge economic success. And very much being the door that everybody in Europe knocked on if there was a problem. They came to Berlin, they came to Merkel, she sat down, largely sorted it out, usually for Germany's advantage. But now you get a sense that this country is changing. So I was in this pub, it's a little pub I've been going to for years, called the Metze Mm. which means the corner, Ecke is corner in Germany, and right. Metzer is the name of the street, right? And it's right in old East Berlin. So all around you, you have all, still the emblems of the GDR, of the German Democratic yeah. Republic. You know, ugly architecture, big, quite communist boulevards, Karl Marx, LA, one of the great communist yeah. boulevards.
0: Great, I get the it, impression it it's great. It is great, it angular is Angular and...
1: Angular and it's, it's what what... what People would describe as brutalism is the architecture, right? Yeah, yeah kind yeah. of brutal, right? But it's all in this around this area of Alexanderplatz and Allee and Prenzlauer Berg and Friedrichshain, interesting part of Germany. So I was going for a few scoops there uh, on Wednesday because uh, I was wanting to watch the uh, or listen to the Germans react to Leipzig beating Spurs. <laughs> right. Very important. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, we were talking about talking about two things: we were talking about politics. We were talking about football, obviously. Yeah. Then we we're talking about the fact they introduced rent control in Germany in Berlin which the Shinners want to introduce here. Right. And how everyone in the pub that I was talking to, big thumbs up to rent control. They all wanted it. Rent's gone up too fast in Berlin, even though people say that rent control will destroy the rental market. They were saying, hold on a second, the rental market's already destroyed. So somebody has to come in and control it. So that was quite interesting. Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, you get on to talking big politics. And in Germany, that tends not to happen straight away. And again, all these people are former Citizens of the former East Germany. Yeah. So they're slightly still, I've always believed, a little bit reticent when it comes to politics. But got started talking about
0: the Stasi hangover.
1: Well, it's supposed to Stasi's, then prior to that, the Nazis. Yeah. Then you had a little bit of freedom flourishing in the Weimar Republic. And prior to that, again, you have Prussianism and a very, very dogmatic monarchy. So for a long, long time, these, yeah, Ger- yeah, these yeah. particular Germans have never really known any freedom of speech and freedom of press. So anyway, talking about what's going on there now. And the big issue, this was before that right-wing guy shot nine Muslims last Thursday yeah. in Frankfurt, which we'll talk yeah. about. Yeah, This was before this happened. And they were talking to me about in a province called Thuringia, which is to the southwest of Berlin, but okay. still in the former East Germany. The party that is the racist party, the anti immigrant party, the German Nationalist Party at the moment. Yeah, the AFD. Yes, this alternative for Deutschland. So, the, an alternative for Germany, that's what they're saying. Yeah. And it's an alternative to the EU as well. That's where they started. We can right. come back to that. Okay. But they involved themselves in a pact with the mainstream right wing or conservative party, which is the CDU, the Christian Democratic Union, yeah. and a smaller conservative party called the Free Democrats. They couldn't make up the numbers, back to coalition building, to get their man elected as premier of this region. So they did a pact unbeknownst to or behind the back of Angela Merkel in Berlin. The local people did a pact, right? The local politicians Mm. to actually bring the AFD in and using the AFD to actually get their guy into power to make the numbers, right? Now, of course... This shocked Germany, and the reason it shocked Germany is that the mainstream parties in Germany, the CDU, the SPD, and these Free Democrats and the Greens, Mm. refused to do any deals with the AFD because they believed that what actually happened, they go back again to Hitler, that Hitler came to power in 1932 because the mainstream conservative parties did a deal with him. And their idea is, we'll do a deal with Hitler, we will use this upstart to get into power, and then we will emasculate him from inside. Yeah. What actually happened is he emasculated them, number one, and then destroyed them completely, number two. Yeah. So there is a sense in Germany that doing a deal with the devil, doing a deal with the extreme right, simply facilitates the destruction of German liberal democracy because they've pointed out, and it's true, that democracies... Actually, go bad from the inside out. Yeah, democracies tend to go bad from the inside out, and where this starts is the mainstream loses votes. Then they do a deal with the extreme right, that normalises the extreme right. It begins to bring them in yeah, from the yeah. cold. But why did they? Why did they do that in Thuringia? Because they couldn't get the numbers after a local election, so they said, "Why don't we do it?" But a they practice? knew
0: that the reaction was going to be like that. Surely they
1: probably didn't. They probably didn't understand the extent to which the rest of Germany would react. And, of course, the reason is Thuringia is in the East, the Old East, and yeah. they think in a totally different way to the more enlightened West, let's just say. We can right, talk okay, about that okay, in a sec. Okay. But anyway, Merkel obviously pulled rank on this. Yeah, She pulled rank, but they think a bit too late because the kind of fuse has been lit that they've made legitimate these guys right. by bringing them in. Of course, they all say, oh, it was a mistake, we didn't do it. So that was the topic of conversation, <laughs> whether this is right to do or not. This yes. Week. Now... That got me thinking about what's actually going on in Germany. Why is there a sense of angst in Germany that I haven't really got that sense of before? Yeah. Now, in fairness, the Germans do tend to be kind of a bit, bit angst-ridden. They do worry a lot, and they, you know, <laughs> yeah. they're not like us. They're not like chilled out <laughs> and acting the maggots, right? They are. They, they worry, but they've good cause to worry. And, and In fact, my son, Karl went to school in Germany, to primary school,
0: I remember that, yeah. He spent uh, six months over there or yeah, something.
1: Yeah, yeah. And he became fluent in German. It was very funny. He came back after. He says, Dad, you know the way we think the Germans never mentioned the war? He mm-hmm. says, they can't stop talking about it. <laughs> he actually to sit up in the class and say, enough already. You <laughs> didn't do it, right? So he says that, you know, that basically the he always felt as somebody, a school kid there that Germans are traumatized by the Second World War. and They still are traumatized. Yeah. and And they, they haven't given themselves the permission to rule Europe or even rule themselves in a proper way. Right. They're always worried about what could happen, and which is why Germany has instilled extraordinary, brilliant sort of checks and balances in its political system. And now Mm. my daughter, Lucy, is in college there. So we've got a German thing going on in the the family. Anyway, let's go back to, to what is happening in Germany. What is happening in Germany is an extraordinary collapse in the population So the Germans aren't having enough children. It's by far and away the most populous country in Europe. Yeah. But the only people having kids on a significant scale are immigrants. And what you're finding now in Germany is this angst about ethnicity and culture. It's becoming more apparent now. And and it's manifesting itself in votes for the extreme right. This was never the case before because whether Germans thought it privately or not, they didn't give themselves the permission to express This ever in public. Yeah. So if you look at the numbers, the numbers are really shocking. In Berlin, they've got, again, the Germans are very good statistics. The labor force surveys in Berlin show that had there not been immigration into Germany, the German population, the ethnic German population, would have peaked in 1972. Wow. So the ethnic population has been falling as a percentage of the total, for 50 years. Now, what happened was lots and lots of Turks in the beginning yep. came in, then Yugoslavs, and lots of Spaniards, lots of Italians, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And this, of course, boosted the labor force in Germany, boosted the productivity of the country. Mm. Now what you're seeing is another wave of now Syrian refugees, African refugees coming in in big, big numbers. As long as the economy was growing and doing well, the Germans seemed to be able to negotiate all of this. But now what we're seeing is, particularly in the East, the population is falling. So on this, on present forecasts, the German population in Eastern Germany mm. will fall by 30% wow. in the next 15 years, Yeah, right? The, also, the old population of Germany is rising dramatically. So just to give you a sense, right, Mm. according to the Berlin Institute for Population and Development, which is obviously their big stats department looking at population, the population of East Germany is set to decline over the next 15 years by over 25%. Wow. That is phenomenal, right? Wow, yeah. In the former East Germany, 41 of its 77 districts will lose at least 30% of their working age population by 2035. This is phenomenal. Germany's elder population, that's the whole population, right, has risen by 54% since 1990, from 10 million people to 15 million. These are elderly people. And it's expected to rise another 5 million by 2039. What kind of pension
0: system do they have there? Well,
1: this is the whole thing, that as long as they have a very generous pension system, but they have a very private pension, they have a lot of private pensions as well. But the point is, as long as Germany was growing, and as long as Germany was doing extremely well, all these various social issues could be dealt with, you know? They yeah. could they could deal with immigration, they could deal with population surges, they could deal with... Now they're facing something different. Okay,
0: hang on. Before you, you go any further, is Merkel being blamed, or is she to blame for this uh, huge, massive influx, given the fact that she opened the doors there a few years ago?
1: Well, I think many, many Germans are very supportive of mm. this idea that Germany should be a big, generous, wealthy country. And the act of generosity that is accepting in people who are destitute, who are yeah. homeless, who are stateless, I think gives a lot of Germans a real sense of pride. And that's the people that I know would feel this is the right thing to yeah. do. However, there's lots of other Germans who, particularly the elderly the people from the East, and also people who feel that German culture has been diluted dramatically Mm. by this rise in migration. So the battle, again, for the heart and soul of Germany is are we the outward-looking, generous, wealthy country that was created by West Germany after the Second World War, beginning with Adenauer and going all the way through to now? Yeah. Are we an ethnic population that is under threat by immigrant populations coming in having kids, not adapting to German ways. So it's a really battle for the soul of Germany that yeah. is going on at the and this, moment. And most,
0: most of this battle is happening in Eastern Europe as opposed to Western Europe. Eastern, Eastern Germany. Germany as opposed to well, Western Germany.
1: Well, because demographically and socially and economically the former East part of Germany yeah. is much more backward than the West part. And don't forget that it was really a takeover of West Germany took over East Germany. It wasn't a battle of equals at all. But what you're seeing also in all the big cities is the emergence of the far right. Yeah. And this is beginning to manifest itself most awfully in this killing in Frankfurt. Yeah. In Hanau, which is a really quite a prosperous part of Germany. And Frankfurt is the second richest city in Germany. So this is, yeah, it's this the is financial wealthy. centre. Yeah, is, and it's, yeah. it's the financial centre. So the richest city is, is Munich, second richest is Frankfurt, third richest is Hamburg. Actually, Germany's odd that Berlin is the only capital in Europe that is much poorer than the rest. Really? Yeah, so it's the only That's, capital city. So if you think London and Paris, Madrid, Dublin, yeah. the capital cities are usually the richest, yeah. most dynamic. Berlin is an outlier. Berlin is poor. Berlin sucks in resources from the rest of Germany. So let's go back to see what's going on. You've got the demographic problems. And those demographic problems aren't just in the East. In the West as well, German people are not replacing themselves. They're not having kids. Yeah. When they're having kids, they're having much older and they're having one. They look around, they look at the, particularly the Muslim population and they see lots of kids. Yeah. The African population, lots of kids. So they're beginning this sort of ethnic angst that is bubbling under the surface all over Europe. Yeah. All over Europe. And it's responsible for right-wing movements and left-wing movements all all over Europe. That's the first thing. The second thing is the German model of capitalism, which was so successful, is now under threat. So for years in economics, particularly if you learnt it in the English-speaking world, it came with this rather unpleasant cocktail of Anglo-American... Shareholder capitalism. Right. So a company would float. You use the stock exchange. The idea is shareholder value. That American expression was dominant. That all companies have to do is make profit, benefit their shareholders, and that's
0: that's it. That's yeah. their remit, right? Yeah.
1: Which leads to a ridiculously greedy, unequal society, yeah. etc. Right? The Germans never bought into that. The Germans had a thing which was very unique. to Germany called Rhineland capitalism, which was basically the workers worked in cooperation with the management. So workers were always on the boards of companies, okay? Yeah. The chief executive, unlike in the American and UK model, who was usually a superstar chief executive, parachuted in, enriched by share options, and sort of like yeah. a like a gun for hire. Yeah, In Germany, that's never the case. Usually the chief executive comes from the ranks and has worked usually his way up, his or her, but usually his his way all the way up through that company. Right. So they know the company, right? Yeah. Second, that, that, that so the first thing is workers on the boards, right? Second thing is management and chief executives usually come from the ranks. Third is what they would call industrial bargaining, where the workers and the management sit down and say, if we make X amount of money, we'll give you Y amount of wages and we'll take X amount of profits. So there's this sort of a dialogue all the time.
0: And are, are the unions involved
1: in this? Always unions
0: involved. And are the unions on the board as well? The
1: unions are on the board. Right. And the biggest unions I think called IG Metall, which is a big metal workers' union. That yeah. sets the wages for, your, for Germany every year. And everyone buys into that, right? Mm. Mm. So it's really old style. It's got kind of corporatism. And of course, lastly, the banks are on hand to finance everything. And the reason the banks in Germany are very, very active in the economy is they don't have this obsession with land. So Germans don't buy their own houses as a rule. The average German, they rent. Yeah. So therefore the average German doesn't have a mortgage. But they rent from who? Yeah, now this is from pension funds. So what they do is German, if you get a pension in Germany. Right. You pay your money into the pension. Yeah. That pension can go into a variety of things. A lot of things that goes into the pension funds is we're going to build houses, right? So pension funds own the houses. They give long-term leases to tenants. Yeah. In return, tenants pay and rents are kept low. The other side is the state produces huge amounts of social housing as well. Right. But what you don't have or you hadn't have up until very recently is this sort of rapacious landlord class, right? Now, that leads to two issues. One is the housing dilemma has never been that extreme in Germany until very recently, and I'll explain that in a second. The second thing is because people don't have mortgages, from the bank's perception a mortgage yeah. is a great deal because yeah, yeah. you basically you've got somebody by the bollocks for 30 years yeah. and say if you don't pay we're going to kick you out of your house there can be no more risk free asset for a bank yeah but if you take mortgages out of the equation and the Germans have a proclivity to save where do you lend money you lend it back to german industry so the banks have been very active in this rhineland model of financing everything right okay and then the final issue is that the most common structure for German industry is a family-run firm. Family firms in Germany are the backbone. So they've never bought this idea that you should float the company, make quick money, introduce shareholders, you know, all that stuff. They don't don't do that. They say we'll do it quietly. In fact, what's really interesting, there's a great article I read recently about the vanishing German billionaire. So Germany has more billionaires than anywhere else in Europe. Nobody ever sees them because the families have almost taken a vow of silence. Don't be in the media, don't be flash, don't attract attention. And this, <laughs> really? of course, all goes back to revolutionary times where they say, don't basically stand out. Yeah. So you have all this stuff going on. What that was loosely called in economics was Rhineland capitalism, as distinct from Anglo-American shareholder capital. Yeah. Rhineland capitalism has beaten shareholder capital hands down. Right? It's a much better form well, of running the economy. Well,
0: it certainly seems an awful lot
1: fairer. It's more fairer and yeah. it's actually more productive. Yeah. Right? Why? Because companies are not asset-stripped by greedy chief executives yeah. who are incentivized to drive up the sharehold, share pricing. Mm. If you're incentivizing is not to drive up the share pricing, but market share and long-term profitability, you're not going to do that stupid stuff. Yeah. You're going to reinvest in your workers, all that stuff. All that served the Germans extremely well so that their industrial base is so powerful, two things have happened. One is they have, when it came to East Germany, they just gobbled up East Germany and West German industry destroyed yeah. whatever was there. Yeah. But two, more interestingly for Europe, under the Euro, where other countries couldn't devalue against the Germans, this German industrial juggernaut has destroyed the industrial base of many European countries, mainly Italy, because people forget that Italy, the byword for Italy, largely driven, I think, by English propaganda, was that the Italians are lazy and disorganized and la la la. In fact, that's not the case. Italy is the second biggest manufacturing power in Europe. Yeah, yeah. It's only second to Germany. Bigger than France, much bigger than the UK, much bigger than Spain. But the Italian industry used to always be able to devalue its way to competitiveness. Right. Once they joined the euro, They couldn't do this against the Germans anymore. And what you've seen is a really severe industrial contraction in Italy. So Germany managed to destroy or at least facilitate the destruction of large parts of the Italian industrial base. Mm. How did they do this? They did this with their own capitalism, but also when Central Europe opened up. The idea was that all these Central European countries, Czech Republic, Hungary, Croatia, Poland, would gradually catch up with Germany. That has not happened. Right. What yeah. actually has happened is really clever, talented people from Hungary, Romania, Czech Republic, Croatia, Poland have migrated to Germany, increasing the productive capacity of Germany, right. while at the same time the industries that were in Central Europe have all been destroyed by Germany. So if you go to Central Europe and you go to a shop, you go to try to buy something, anything at all, because, you know, we spend a lot of time yeah. in Croatia, Everything's made in Germany. Mm. So Germany has managed in the last two decades to dominate Europe in a way in which I don't think people have really appreciated. Now what is happening is the battle between German capitalism, Rhineland capitalism, is not against Anglo-American capitalism. The battle is against Chinese state capitalism, which is a different thing. So basically the Chinese are looking to do to the Germans, what the Germans did to the Italians.
0: Right. Which is okay. basically...
1: And where is... And how
0: is that going to manifest So the itself? battleground
1: is the German car industry. So nothing more signifies Germany than Audi and Mercedes yeah. and Volkswagen. Yeah. Problem is, it employs directly 800,000 Germans, but indirectly 3 million. Right? Okay. So it's huge. So it's not just 5% of GDP in terms of revenues. It's all these links with the rest right. of the economy. Right, yeah, yeah. The problem is Germany's producing the wrong product. Cars are going out of fashion, right? If you look at car sales, they've been falling. German car sales last year hit a 23-year low. Right. And the reason is that people are not buying petrol cars in in, in the same way as we used to. And the Germans don't seem to have changed quickly enough to electric cars.
0: So hang on a second. So you're saying that most of the electric car manufacturing is based in China that's, and that's going to flood the world. How come? That, well, that's
1: the interesting thing. So, but how
0: come Germany have kind of missed this? They, seem, this to taken, on the they seem to have taken while.
1: their eye off the ball. So, for example, even Tesla has set up in Germany, which yeah. is like a two fingers to BMW uh, and, and Audi and, and Mercedes. And mm. We're going to put this upstart American company in your own turf. The Germans have been late-ish to the electric car Game. Yeah. The best example of that is nine out of the top 10 world producers of electric cars in terms of revenue are Chinese. Right. And everyone says, well, I've never heard of a Chinese car, which you haven't, yeah. which you've probably never heard of Huawei a couple of years ago. And this is back to our idea. Well, that's, our, true.
0: that's true. That's very true. And yeah. now
1: everyone's talking about it. It's like, yeah. what the hell is this? It's, that's back to our friend Mr. Schumpeter, the, yeah. the relentless gale of technological innovation. And creative destruction. So, for example, fifteen years ago, if we were talking about mobile phones here, we'd be talking about Nokia. Nokia now yeah. have, have disappeared really as a brand yeah. in in, yeah. in most cases. So, there is something going on, which is the following: that Germany produces cars, and very soon producing cars will soon be regarded as like producing cigarettes. There'll be a stigma attached to it. It'll be right. not healthy. And Germany it's quite extreme <laughs> well it's going to happen, and yeah. Germany produces maybe too many cars, though so, so again it's, it's interesting for years, this was the backbone of German industry. Yeah. Now they have to shift because car demand is falling worldwide. The question is, can they shift quick enough? The problem is now for Germany is that twenty years ago there was no China. Mm. Now China is there breathing down their necks, and the interesting thing is industrially at least if With you
0: coronavirus. Had,
1: yeah, well, that's true. Making them wealthy. <laughs> but if you think, if you have a weakness, China will make you weaker. That's the key. Yeah. It'll identify your supply chain, identify your weakness, and produce something cheaper and ultimately better. Because think about it. Many years ago, people regarded Japanese goods as they regard Chinese goods. Yeah. Made in Japan was an expression for a knockoff shop. It, you know, this, this thing won't work, etc. cetera. Yeah. Japan has risen to being the most supreme technologist in the world in terms of production. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Okay, you might even noticed here years ago in the 70s, there was only two cars in Ireland, the Toyota Corolla That's and right. Fiat the Fiat Mirafiori. F- yeah. Okay, and the 127s. Yeah,
0: 127, my mom had a Fiat 127, yeah, but they're a all deadly gone.
1: car. They're all gone now. The yeah. Germans destroyed that industry. The Germans took True, it over, yeah. right? So what I'm saying is Germany has an industrial problem. It's making the wrong stuff. And that's a big dilemma for it. And the question is, can it change to make the right stuff quick enough to keep the lid on these social pressures that are bubbling up from the demographics, which is the fall of the ethnic German population and the rise of the immigrant population? This is the massive dilemma for Germany. I'm not saying it can't change. But what I am saying is that Germany is going to go into the next decade in a totally different position to the last two decades. So yeah. the last two decades were optimistic, Germany dominating, being stable, Angela Merkel being, they call her Mutti, you know, ma. Yeah. Mutti running the show, always being able to do deals. But so, uh, let way.
0: me ask you this. So so she's retiring next she's year. She's gone, yeah. And there was supposed to be your one who I can't remember the name of. KKK or
1: HKK, what her name is. Right. And, but she is... She is resigned, too. She is resigned, too. So who's likely to come so the in The field and, is open. That's that's the thing. And that's, again, the idea. Is And that, this is open, then, for the AFD. It's not just for the AFD. It's the personalities. It's not that the AFD are going to come to power soon. Yeah, yeah. But they're rising. Yeah. And their message is anti-European, anti-immigration, Germany first. Yeah. We've heard this before. It's the Brexiteer message. It's the Trump message. Yeah. Know. The so Sinn Féin has a job. A sh-
0: change. Change. You know,
1: yeah. Doesn't matter. We, we won't renegotiate really what that is, but it's. Yeah, change. yeah, it's change. Yeah. And again, like Sinn Féin, what Sinn Féin have done so well is they identified the issue and they mm. made it their own. They said housing amongst the young is our issue and we are going to go after that, right? Yeah. The AFD haven't identified the issue, but they're beginning to. And yeah. then what happens is if you normalize these guys, they come in from the cold. Exactly that happened to Hitler. Yeah. Came in from the cold. And suddenly when you're in the system, you destroy it from the inside.
0: So so how is this going to, in the next few years, like in the short to medium term, how's this going to affect Europe?
1: Well, this is a huge question because for so, so long, Germany was number one, the paymaster general. It paid all the bills. Yeah, yeah. Number two, it did extremely well out of Europe because it was exporting its industrial products all over Europe and its consumer products all yeah. over Europe. And number three, it was really the ballast. Yeah. You know, the Germans would come in and at the end of the negotiations, the Germans would say would, would fix up yeah. what was going to happen. Underpinning that was just was not so much economic prowess, but also a population that was really pro-European. Now, the German population still is extremely pro-European because of the legacy of the Second World War. Germany wants somebody else to lead. Yeah. It doesn't give itself the permission to lead either internally or externally because of what happened. That's the Germany we know. Yeah, There is a new Germany emerging. And this new Germany will be much more fractious politically. It won't have the dominant. If you think about it, in the last 30 years, there have been three German politicians. Helmut Kohl, Gerhard Schroeder, and Angela Merkel. Yeah. And at every stage, those three were true, in yeah. the mix, you know, yeah. and they were big characters. Yeah. Right. They're gone. They've left the stage. So for the European Union, the issue is, you know, you've got Brexit going on with the Brits on the one hand. I mean, the Brits have gone total Brexit jihadi in the last the <laughs> yeah. last week, right?
0: Actually, I have to say, my niece, you know, Roisin, my niece, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. who grew up in London, now living and working over here, met Anne Whitaker, And oh God, Anne yeah. Whitaker turned around to her and said, so I assume you're
1: going to come back home now that we're free. That's such nonsense. <laughs> <Isn't> that <laughs> well, amazing? I tell you, my, my, my best Anne Whitaker line is that Anne Whitaker was speculating aloud Uh, about homosexuality. Right. Which she believes is a disease. Yeah, yeah. And she was saying (laughs) that there's no known cure for homosexuality. And that evening, the lovely Stephen Fry tweeted back, there may not be a cure for homosexuality, but there's definitely no known cure for Anne Whittigan. (laughs) Which (laughs) I thought was lovely. (laughs) Lovely. But if we go back to Brexit, right, so the Brits are going all full jihadi, saying we're not going to take any European rules. We want a free trade deal With no rules. I have never seen anyone overestimate their own abilities, power, and competence, you know, since Ginger Spice left the Spice Girls. (laughs) You know, when Jerry Halliwell yeah. left the Spice Girls, that was the Brexit moment, right? That's the way the Brexit. Sorry. So keep that image in your head of Jerry in her little Union Jack mini skirt. That is Boris do, Johnson's negotiating strategy, okay?
0: That's firmly planted in my hey, head. Hey, you won't get
1: rid of that. Well, listen, so we to come back to the Germans, right? Two things going on. They will play a different role in Europe. They will always, always be the anchor tenant,
0: right? Yeah. Well, I I was going to say is is it an opportunity for France to kind of up their game and become the anchor tenant, as you say.
1: Well, France could up the game if your man, the little
0: yeah
1: Jupiterian leader yeah. Macron, a uh, Napoleon. You, did you hear his little his latest problems? No, go on. His choice for the mayor of Paris, yeah, the big job. Jack Chirac was mayor of Paris. Being yeah. mayor of Paris is a big deal, right? Macron's choice was a fella, 40-year-old bloke, talked about family values all the time, et cetera, et cetera. And he was sending dick pics to a young one. And oh, he man. got and he got nailed. Oh, man. So I, I think they <laughs> Have a look at me, Wanger. Uh, my wanger. <laughs> so they were their own deals. No, I think I think what it is we just have to, we as Europeans have to recognize that Germany is different. Now Big, big long-term issues is the following. since Not just since the Second World War, prior to the First World War, the Entente Cordiale, all the alliances that came Mm. out actually from Metternich and Austria and all those things years and years ago has been the Brits and the Americans to the extent they got involved in European politics about 70, 80 years ago, have always tried, the Atlantic Alliance has always tried to encircle Germany with enemies. That has always been the strategy. Right. So if you look at all the after the French Commune, 1870s, Prussian, Franco Prussian War, yeah. First World War, Second World War, the whole idea was you surround Germany with enemies. Why? Because the biggest fear of the Atlantic and the Atlanticist view is an alliance between Germany and Russia. The alliance between Germany and Russia makes enormous sense. Why? Because Russia is a country of endless economic raw materials. Yeah. So raw materials, huge amounts, endless, with no industry. Germany is a country with huge industry and no raw materials. So the obvious energy link is that Russia powers Germany and Germany in return produces goods to be sold in Russia.
0: Which which they've just... Got that pipeline coming in from the Baltic.
1: Which the Americans and the NATOist, the Atlantist yeah. in Europe is freaked out about. If you think which I of, can you know, I can understand that. Look, the whole war in Ukraine, yeah, the whole Russian annexation of Crimea can only be seen against the background of the Atlantic alliance, i.e. NATO and the yeah. old post Second World War, trying to keep Russia away from Germany. And long term, the fear is that a Germany slightly unreleased, un, unhinged from Europe mm. in a state of flux begins to look east, not west, for its alliances. This is why what Trump is doing is very dangerous in the long term. Because if you undermine the American alliance with Germany, forget Britain, yeah. with Germany, you basically allow Central Europe, the old Middle Europa, to move away from American. Sphere of influence.
0: Yeah.
1: Where's the obvious replacement? It's yeah. Russia. Yeah. And Putin knows this. And Putin's watching all this and thinking long term. You know, as a Russian friend of mine said regarding diplomacy, that the Russians are playing chess and the Americans are playing monopoly. Right. So that was a really good way of looking at it. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. We're looking at all the moves, right? So what, what's happening... <laughs> that is good. I like that. What's happening, and of course the, the Americans, back to the shareholder value, yeah. are just looking for money.
0: Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a very black and white world.
1: As Europeans, we have to figure out that Germany's changing. As Irish people, interestingly, is what is happening in Germany now in economics is termed the Japanification of Germany. So Japanification is what happens when a country's population begins to initially contract and then really implode quite quickly. What happens is the population gets old. The economy slows right down. Inflation slows right down the economy begins to get worried about outsiders. It exports lots of capital because it's got lots of capital, lots of savings, but it hasn't got productive investment mm. inside. So it exports lots of capital, makes all these investments abroad, mm. which is exactly what's happening to Japan right now. Yeah, It's this thing called secular stagnation that economists talk about, yeah. which is when the economy begins to stagnate.
0: And that's as a result of that demographic triangle being inverted.
1: Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. And basically, young countries... Are dynamic countries. That's yeah. the rule. Yeah, yeah. Because young people take risks. Yeah. Old people don't take risks. So as you get older, you become less and less and less risk taking because you want to hold on to what you have for retirement, for your kids, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Right. So there's, an in, there's a human dynamic. It's like an energy dynamic.
0: Yeah.
1: So this is what's happening in Germany. It's getting old. Right. As it gets old, it slows down. As it slows down, the rate of interest gets very, very low. So the demand for money is very, very low. So countries that are exporting excessively to that country tend to do very badly Mm. because demand in Germany will slow down. But countries that are depending on the rate of interest set by Germany but don't have a huge amount of real connections with Germany in terms of exports, in terms of trade flows, in terms of people flows, will do extremely well because they'll get an interest rate holiday. Right. Whereas the growth in Germany doesn't matter to them because they're not exporting. Yeah. Who's that? The Paddy's. Yeah. Because we are a proxy for American companies here. As Germany slows down, the rate of interest falls, the exchange rate falls against the dollar. If we are the location of American industry here, what happens is we look even more attractive to the Yanks because our cost base has fallen as the euro falls against the dollar. Also, in terms of the rate of interest here, for example, Sinn Féin wanting to build houses a permanently low rate of interest allows us to borrow in order to build and fix the housing problem. Right, And because of our multinationals are American-focused and American-facing, we don't get the same negative hit from a fall in the rate of growth in Germany. So we should look at this as a one-off, absolute perfect storm, but a perfect moment where three really positive things happen. And this gives us the opportunity to fix things in Ireland, while at the same time remaining competitive. I know it's not very European, it's not very solidarity. In yeah, Europe, yeah, yeah. But, you know, to use that great British experience, or uh, what was his name, Lord Castlereagh, one of those great British foreign secretaries, countries don't have friends, they have interests. And it's now in Ireland's interest to watch what's happening in Germany and take it as an opportunity to fix our own stuff here while at the same time remaining open to the Americans. Now don't forget on the 15th of March myself and John are live on the stage of the Olympia. Tickets at ticketmaster.ie We will see you there. 15th of March.